You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Uh, Today, I'm really excited because I'm joined by Dr. James Taylor from North Carolina and near some of my home stomping grounds in the southeast. Uh, James, thanks so much for being willing to take the time and speak with me today. Well, Jason, it's my honor. Thank you. Yeah, totally. So um, just to prime our listeners a bit, do you mind speaking a little bit about um, the work that you do and how it um, connects to to hemp and CBD and, and all of that? Yeah. So um, I'm primarily a pain physician. We have seven pain clinics in North Carolina. And it was the opioid crisis that got me involved uh, uh, in the CBD space. Uh, about two years ago, uh, as pressures coming uh, from medical boards and hospital administrators on, uh, we've got to change the way we manage pain. Um, CBD came at a, a, an opportune time uh, for our medical practice to look, to figure out what does it do or what does it not do uh, for patients in pain. Um, it was very taboo back then in North Carolina to uh, even uh, even think about this and bring it into our practice. Uh, so initially when we did that, we had a symposium and we brought uh, a lot of people to the symposium. We brought the, the police, the sheriff's departments, attorneys, board members, um, you know, anybody we could think of that might want to object. And we, so we gave them the opportunity to object if we were going to bring CBD into the state of North Carolina and start using it with patients. Uh, no one objected. Uh, they all agreed. We're in the middle of an open crisis and we got to pull out every tool we possibly can use uh, in order to positively affect that. Uh, So our journey began there uh, where we studied some patients uh, and felt good about continuing to recommend this to our patients and we've just continued uh, to try to understand this even better uh, of what it's doing uh, for these folks and uh, how we can positively impact their lives. Uh, and that journey has been uh, a very up and down journey. Uh, and so being new into the cannabis space, uh, you just don't realize all the variables uh, that you're going to have to deal with. But it seems like we take two steps forward, one step back, <laughs> three steps forward, four steps back. Yep. And so uh, that kind of roller coaster, uh, I'm, I'm understanding what folks in the cannabis world is, have been up against um, uh, for the last number of years. Yeah, and I've got to say I'm a little surprised that there wasn't much resistance um, in those early conversations, um, but that, that's great to hear as well, um, just that there's a, a desire to try to bring in any safe tools that can be brought in to try to alleviate um, you know, some of those opioid problems that we're, that we're dealing with um, now. And what... Um, what forms of CBD are being administered in North Carolina? Because I have to admit, I'm not super familiar with what all's been going on there recently. Um, are people using um, like tinctures or edibles? Different, you know, what types of products are they engaging? Well, primarily tincture. Uh, in our medical practice, we stuck with tincture. We wanted to keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, you know, our patients uh, aren't the, the most educated and we typically serve the poor and the elderly. Uh, so we didn't want to bring a large variety of, uh, yeah, of yeah. different things. So the tincture, we kept it simple. Uh, but in the state of North Carolina, um, uh, hemp stores are opening up all over the place that have uh, the food products, the smokable hemp, uh, the tinctures, vape products, um, the whole gambit. Um, you know, the North Carolina and the FDA have come out uh, pretty strongly to say, hey, we don't want this in food products, right. uh, but they still sell them and nobody's out uh, monitoring or regulating them. Um, and uh, we'll see where all that ends. 
yeah, it's it was interesting <laughs> to me to see. Uh, I saw a picture very recently of a store in Tennessee that was a CBD slash hemp dispensary, and it was set up very similarly to all of the cannabis dispensaries you see out here on the West Coast or in states that have legalized, um, but it's all hemp products. And that's fascinating to me um, that that's spreading across the country um, and giving people access to um, cannabis products, even if it's in that limited CBD sense um, that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. Have there been, to your knowledge, any issues regarding... Um, uh, product safety contaminations or um, product consistency um, in that realm? Well, as far as a public standpoint, I don't think the public uh, uh, sees much of that. I think there's been a couple of news articles where some product came in uh, that came from out west that uh, probably contained THC mm -hmm. uh, that was not a hemp-derived product. Um, but there has not been a lot of media attention on um, tainted or bad product. Uh, now, we have a laboratory and we do testing. Uh, so half of my patients take a product that we kind of oversee uh, mm -hmm. from growth to extraction. The other half of my patients take products they get online. Uh, so that's very good for me. Uh, I'm able to see what these other products are. Uh, and then we will take sometimes these products from the patient and test them mm -hmm. and see what's in them. Yep. And so we're discovering quite a bit that what's on the label is not necessarily <laughs> what's in the bottle. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not here to, you know, tattle on anybody, uh, but I think it's a bigger problem than we all realize. Yeah, I completely agree. Just from my own analytical work that I've seen, there's uh, quite a lot of um, inconsistency batch to batch um, when manufacturers are making products and then, um, and sometimes the differences in product compared to the label, sometimes that's genuine just product manufacturing variability, and sometimes it's malicious. Sometimes it's just outright, you know, a company's lying um, in order to just get products somewhere where they could be sold. Um, can you speak a little bit to how, you know, so you specialize in pain and trying to, to help people deal with particularly chronic pain. Um, how do patients seem to be reacting and under what kind of dosages? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. So when we initially brought it into our practice, uh, we took 100 patients and we studied them. At that point, we didn't <clears throat> know that there were different cannabinoid profiles. So we didn't know how to dose it. Uh, we just did not know a lot. We just put this bottle of CBD in front of 100 patients uh, and uh, said take a half a dropper twice a day and that should last them 30 days and now come back and tell us uh, what happens and we followed them over about a three-month period of time um, so with not even much knowledge we were able to gain so much insight now as a pain physician we were looking for uh, pain reduction and uh, them not needing their opioids uh, and what we found on our initial survey is their pain it did not affect their pain whatsoever uh, but what we found was number one they slept so much better they, interesting they came back uh, their sleep went from about four and a half hours to six hours a night uh, and they started reporting that they were dreaming uh, so we said gosh this is good uh, you're sleeping better you're dreaming you're getting more restful sleep someone who's got a chronic medical condition uh, this is very valuable uh, to give you that uh, <clears throat> rejuvenation uh, that you need in order to face the next day uh, with your continued chronic condition the second thing they came to us and told us is that 
their anxiety level uh, was less, that they were less anxious. And they found that when they were having an anxiety flare, instead of reaching for alcohol or a benzodiazepine, uh, which we know those plus a narcotic equals death, uh, they were reaching for their bottle of hemp. That very quickly they realized if they took their tincture within 20, 30 minutes, their crisis was starting to dissipate. Uh, and so we saw this as risk reduction. Yeah, 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 you know? exactly. And so if we could protect our patients, uh, this is another wonderful reason to continue to pursue this. Yeah, and that actually echoes um, a lot of what I've heard from other physicians and nurses that I've talked to, that sometimes the therapeutic response you get from a cannabis product isn't necessarily a direct reduction of the symptoms that you're necessarily targeting, but um, hits other symptoms that accompany that problem um, that over time are likely to have a positive effect on the core issue that you're trying to treat as well. It's, it's interesting to hear about um, people starting to dream again. So that indicates that REM cycles must be being established because for anybody that's sort of unaware, if you have chronic pain, um, you know, it can wake you up constantly throughout the night. And so it's hard for your body to actually sink into the, you know, that, that deep rest into these REM cycles where you'd really, um, be having, you know, more sort of lucid dreaming and that sort of more intense dreams. Um, and so that's super fascinating. And there's a lot of debate out there right now about how CBD and cannabis broadly affects sleep. There's, there are mixed voices about that and especially when THC is involved. So it's interesting to hear from your perspective in a place that is not dealing with THC that you're seeing positive outcomes uh, with sleep because um, in areas where they are uh, working with THC, it's um, not as straightforward mm -hmm. as that because THC can actually interrupt REM cycles mm -hmm. and, and, um, and it depends person to person, of course, too. Mm -hmm. We also saw in that initial observational study <clears throat> um, that patients came back and said they were hopeful. Uh, and for, at first, this perplexed us. Uh, you know, we did some literature search, found that, yes, CBD uh, can uh, affect uh, serotonin. Uh, so we thought this was a mild antidepressant effect. Uh, but over the course uh, of these last years, we realized it's more than that. It's neurogenesis. It's neuroplasticity. That these patients' brains were starting to grow. And when your brain starts to develop new pathways, you all of a sudden have hope. Uh, you don't, <clears throat> patients who are in pain, chronic pain, uh, I think have a form of PTSD, yeah. you know, and they just can't, they're just stuck. They don't know life is going to be like this the rest of their life. It's never going to get better. They're kind of stuck in this rut and CBD allowed them to have hope and that hope translated uh, into a lot of positive things in our clinic. Uh, before our waiting room was uh, it was awful. It was a miserable place to be. Um, and so it was very depressing. Uh, but all of a sudden, we're playing reggae music. People are talking to each other <laughs> and sharing their experiences. Yeah. And it really changed our atmosphere of our clinics. Seems like it's kind of uh, developing community mm. a little bit, mm -hmm. um, which that's, that's um, very interesting and something I've honestly not thought that much about that kind of change from from a physician's perspective of seeing what the waiting room is like and what that um what that sort of air of of the of the clinic is is like and because even even that can go a long way to ensuring patient compliance because mm -hmm. if you actually don't mind going to the doctor and don't you know you're interested in sharing what's going on with you and um and everything you're more likely to keep coming back and to i, I would imagine and you, you can tell me whether this is 
um, seems to be on the right track or not, but do you see a greater sense of, um, I don't know, maybe trust or something between the physician and patient relationship as those things start to improve? I'm not sure necessarily the words trust, because I think they've trusted us all along. I think it's uh, the word we're looking for maybe is engagement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you yeah. Know? And mm-hmm. so <clears throat> they became engaged. So before, you know, it was really they'd come to the office, doctor, give me my pills. They'd answer all the right questions. They just want their pills because they work, right? Narcotics yeah. are wonderful. They work. Uh, and they just were a very resistant. We would say, hey, how about yoga and mindfulness? Yeah. No, it's up the devil. I'm not interested. How, how, about, how about this procedure? No, I'm scared of needles. Everything we would put in front of them, you know, uh, weight management or diet changes, everybody was very resistant. Just give me my pills. Uh, but the folks that started taking CBD came back and said, look, doc, I know you've been talking about this for years, but I want to try that yoga or yeah. I want to you know, try some other things. That hope gave them the ability to now think outside of their normal parameters and start to engage. And what we've seen, it's actually quite miraculous, is uh, about nine months ago, we started picking up on this, that these people really wanted to change. And so we started looking at chronic pain um, as similar to um, alcoholics. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as far as what is AA? So alcoholics use AA because that sense of community helps build them to give them that place to to beat the alcoholism. And so what we've done is we're starting to move to group visits. Yeah. So our patients love to come in and sit with 15 other people. And we spend, instead of spending 10 or 15 minutes with a patient one-on-one and only have a very little bit mm-hmm. of time to educate, we can now bring them in, spend an hour and 45 minutes in a group visit. And we have uh, dedicated, we're going to spend 15 minutes doing yoga and mindfulness. We're going to talk about nutrition and show you how to cook some uh, anti-inflammatory foods. We are going to spend time on all these areas that we know a patient in pain needs to spend time on and educate you. And uh, the patients have loved it. And so I I hope to, you know, within the next year uh, to move the majority, if 90 percent of my patients over to group visits, because that's where we're really changing lives. Yeah, I I find that really um, exciting and hopeful to to hear that you're that you're seeing those changes and that theoretically we should see more and more of those those kinds of positive changes because yeah it's uh the whole mentality about what's going on with a person really really would change pretty drastically going from a well this is just the condition i'm stuck with and this is my life versus you know oh i i now am in the driver's seat more of of my own destiny and and can um start to to carve out a path towards towards better wellness and a more um more supportive lifestyle uh, for your own health that's that's great uh, to hear and i love always love hearing about more um you know kind of holistic approaches to healthcare like reminding people that um a lot of things are medicine and that things like yoga and meditation and diet and and your engagement with food in general like teaching people cooking strategies. I think that's great. And getting people involved in in their foods and hands-on goes a long way towards um, promoting overall um, health and wellness. What are some of the dosages that your patients that were getting those responses, what were they they taking? Well, as I mentioned before, uh, my patients tend to be the poor and the elderly, so they don't have a lot of money. Sure. Um, So we always recommend them to to start low and go slow, right? That's kind of in the industry. Everybody says that. Well, our patients have to. 
uh, because they can't afford a thousand milligram <laughs> bottle. They've got to, yeah, they can yeah. afford the 250 milligram bottle. <clears throat> and so a lot of our patients tend to find relief uh, in the eight uh, to 15 milligram uh, a day mm-hmm. range. Uh, and I feel like a lot of that is, pre- is financial pressure that kind of keep them there. Um, those that seem to be a little bit more uh, successful uh, typically get up to the 30 to 40 milligrams mm-hmm. a day. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying in very general terms uh, sure. because we have patients with all kinds of different pain um, uh, problems, whether it's an inflammatory component or it's a, it's a bone-on-bone type of pain or a neuropathic type of pain. Uh, they're all different. So I'm g- giving you very generalizations, uh, but we have folks that are taking two milligrams a day uh, and some that are taking 200 milligrams a day. Um, so it's very hard for me to say what milligram mm-hmm. uh, works for folks. Uh, so I do like to go start low and go slow and just find, uh, you know, really where you're going to settle in. But it, for me, that's also, we found uh, that also doesn't make sense either because it's the cannabinoid profile uh, that really makes a difference. And we started seeing this in our practice in that we were obtaining a product from uh, one extractor, uh, and then we started obtaining products from another extractor, and our patients were having completely different uh, effects, right? Boy, it used to make me sleep. Now it makes me awake. And we were thinking, gosh, it's CBD. It's the same. Oh, no. And we looked under the hood and looked at the cannabinoid profile. And it was a completely different ratio. uh, Or there was hardly any THC in this product. And there was nearly 0.3% THC in this. So we started realizing, wait, CBD is kind of a misnomer uh, in this industry. Why are we even talking about CBD other than it's easy for the consumer to think like that? But it's really cannabinoids, right? And it's these ratios of cannabinoids uh, that are important. And I think that's what really stimulated us to say, gosh, we have to start looking at this a little differently and a little more scientifically. And it's so much more complex than we realized. Uh, So we did a lot of retrospective data looking at these thousands of patients we have taking this over the last two years. And when we plotted it out, it was not anything that we expected. And I wish I could show you uh, an example where we put uh, positive responders in shades of green and a negative responders to a particular, uh, whether we're talking about sleep or pain or anxiety, uh, in shades of red. <clears throat> and it was just a mixture of green and red. So CBD is not this wonderful thing that's going to turn right. everybody green and it yep. works for everybody. No, it, half the people it's working positively for and the other half it's working negatively for, but all on different things. Uh, yeah. And I, it's hard for me to explain. A, a visual uh, it goes a long way for this, but uh, that's when we realized this is very complex, uh, very individualized. And I think that's when we started really paying attention uh, to we, we need to start looking at people's genetics and the epigenetics so we understand what they're bringing to the table. Uh, and then I think eventually at the end of the day, it's matching those epigenetics with certain cannabinoid profiles in order to modulate the endocannabinoid system to a desired personal yeah. effect. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm looking forward to as technology gets better and better and cheaper for genetic testing, um, seeing, you know, traditional pharmaceutical research and medical science, it tend, the conclusions drawn from the studies tend to be representative of averages of populations, uh, which is very helpful for a lot of things. Um, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, when you're dealing with an N of one, a single person in front of you, 
um, those results don't necessarily carry over in a straightforward way. And so being able to um, meet the data that exists representative of these you know, larger sort of averaged out populations with things like genomics that can bring that personalized element in um, to understand, you know, more of, you know, sort of like the ecosystem of the person that you're dealing with so you can have a better sense of how to predict response. Um, I think that's, that's a really exciting um, stage of, of uh, medical science that we're kind of, we've been moving further and further into, but it's been very cost prohibitive until relatively recently. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. In the negative reactions that you've seen, have you noticed uh, any particular like drug interactions or certain contraindications uh, that you think uh, folks should be aware of if they're thinking about engaging CBD? Yeah, so as an anesthesiologist and pain physician that does very heavy into interventional procedures, I'm always concerned about Coumadin. Uh, yeah. and, a, a, and we know that it's metabolized in the liver by the cytochrome P450 system. And that's what, as, as CBD consumers, you should be thinking about that as well. Uh, and there were some studies out there to say that it could affect uh, some bleeding times, but we had not seen that clinically. So our patients who were taking this and that were on a Coumadin um, and that we got laboratory tests, we could not see that their bleeding times changed. So I think theoretically it is possible, uh, but I'm not seeing it clinically. Mm -hmm. What we do see clinically, which could be worrisome, is that when you are taking a CBD product and you're stimulating your endocannabinoid system, which I like to refer to as your inner physician, it's kind of nature's way of keeping you in balance and mm -hmm. healing yourself, as your body is starting to heal, and maybe it is competing with the cytochrome P450 system for certain drugs, uh, plasma levels of these antihypertensives or diabetic medications could theoretically be bolstered a little. And with your health becoming um, improved, we're finding patients needing to get off these medications. Mm. Uh, so a patient uh, who's taking a blood pressure medicine, we don't recommend them taking their CBD at the same time they take their blood pressure. We make we ask them to take that two hours after that. Uh, so we're not worried about dizziness or dropping of mm -hmm. blood pressure. And we really encourage them, every patient uh, that gets on CBD, go to your primary care doctor first and let them know you're taking this and have them start to monitor your blood pressure and diabetics mm -hmm. and other, so you can reduce these medications uh, if you're able to uh, under their care. For, for consumers to go out and try to do that on their own, I feel is, is very risky. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, that's, that we haven't seen any problems in patients, but I, I feel like problems are just right around the corner if uh, we as physicians aren't monitoring these patients as diligently as if we need to. Yeah, no, that's music to my ears because that's um, anytime someone talks to me about getting really serious about trying to treat themselves with cannabis in general, I generally say, like, make sure you're working with your, you know, some physician that can do lab work on you and monitor um, some critical, um, you know, points to, to monitor because, you know, we just don't know at what dosages these things are going to start to affect other medications you're taking or that are going to start affecting those cytochrome P450 enzymes that are going to change the way you're processing certain foods or medicines. And, um, and so I think that's critical, but the pushback I get when I bring that up is a lot of folks mention to me, well, what if my doctor doesn't understand anything about cannabis and I'm scared to 
breach that topic, even with CBD, um, I hear from a lot of people that they're, they're hesitant to even talk to their doctor about it because they don't know how the doctor will respond if they'll take it seriously. Um, so do you have any thoughts on that and maybe some, some advice on how patients, no matter where they are, could, you know, kind of breach these discussions with their physicians in a way that'll, um, they'll be receptive? Sure. Well, first of all, as, as a patient, I think you have to understand the mindset of a physician. Yeah. Uh, you know, physicians, uh, we were the smartest people in the room at one point, right? That's why they plucked us out and put us in medical school. Uh, and then medical school uh, teaches you uh, to think in a certain way. And eventually you come to be an expert, right? You're an expert physician, whether you're a subspecialist, and you have to be the smartest person in the room. Right. Yeah. So when you're in a patient with the patient, you are the expert and the patient is, you know, is depending on you to be right. So physicians, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to know what we're talking about, uh, to be the authority in the room. And so all of a sudden CBD comes along and the patient's coming in, just like anything they watch on television, there's all these pharmaceutical ads. Right, right, and, yeah. and the patient comes in and says, Hey, what about CBD? Well, Look, we don't know about CBD. We weren't taught it in medical school. We just don't know. So the majority of my colleagues, we don't know. So when you confront somebody who's supposed to be the smartest person in the room and you're asking them to uh, give you an opinion or a recommendation or to follow you on something we don't know about, it's our normal instinct to kind of, you know, to kind of step back and just say, I, I, I don't know. I'm not interested. It's just our human nature uh, to stay away from that. And I, so I think when, if you know that your physician uh, has a mental block uh, because he, he, he's just uneducated uh, on this topic, but he will be, okay? That nice thing is he will be mm -hmm. uh, because CME for this and every, every time I turn around when I'm getting um, the magazine articles uh, in, in good medical publications, every time there's something about cannabis or CBD. So we will get educated. It will be at our medical conferences. And in the future, we're going to be there. But right now, the majority of us don't know and don't understand. So I would say first, please just be patient with your physicians. We, we love you. We care about you. And that's why we went into medicine. And so it's not from a negative place if, if we are obstructing your pursuit of CBD. It's from a safety uh, and that we have your best interest at heart, and we just are very reluctant to recommend things that we don't have our head wrapped around and we don't feel we're experts at. Uh, yeah. So a lot of times I say this, you know, the pharmaceutical companies out there have a lot of sales reps, and yeah. those yeah. sales reps uh, are constantly in my office trying to, and, and what do they do? They bring me articles, right? They bring me article and art after article to tell me why their drug is better than this other drug and why I should. So I'm used to that, right? I'm used to sales reps walking in and educating me with articles. I would implore that all patients uh, and, and CBD and cannabis is the people's plant, that it's your responsibility as the consumer to go to websites like Project CBD or uh, find good, you know, you know I'm PubMed and start mm -hmm. looking up your own articles. And when you go to your doctor, don't just go in with questions, go in with education. You know, what the cannabis industry needs now are educational representatives and we need you as a patient to bring an article or two with you about this and hand it to us and yeah. you be the ones who are helping educate physicians so you know healthcare is a team 
team concept. You know, there's a doctor and a patient and we're a team. And we right now we need help from the patient's standpoint to help educate us. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, this is non-FDA regulated. Mm-hmm. You can get it uh, over the counter and you're going to take this. We need to hear that you're taking it, why you're taking it, and the outcomes that you're getting, even though they're anecdotal, we need to hear those. So when we read a study in a medical journal that says one thing, now we have something in our mind we can refer back to Mrs. Jones that gave me that anecdotal uh, comment that now it solidifies. It makes sense. And now I'm feeling more and more comfortable that this may be a truth that I can talk to the Mm -hmm. next patient. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And something I've... um, long advise people to do in this context is to do some even if it's really really simple some basic journaling um and so if they're you know trying to self-treat themselves with different cannabis products no matter what they are you know it's just like jot down some basic information you could share with your doctor just like what was the product what was at least the dosage on the label um uh, what type of product was it um uh, when, when during the day did you take it? Was it, you know, did you just eat or, you know, all these little details. And even if you can't get that much detail in, at least just, just snap a photo of what the product is and, you know, jot down in your phone, in your notes, just, uh, basic, um, timestamps or something like 20 minutes after I took this, I felt this way. It's just keeping some track so that, um, you have some information you can share that you're not having to rely on, your memory, which can be really fallible, um, and say, you know, I don't know what's going on, but this is what I've noticed so far, and you know, want to share it with you so we can try to understand it together. Um, that's that's an approach I've, I've always tried to in- encourage, and unfortunately, it's someone just very recently, just a few weeks ago, said they did that, um, and I was so pleased mm. uh, to hear that they were. Uh, jotting stuff down and sharing it and, and making some progress. and That's um, a great idea. Yeah, and now there's starting to be some tools to, to help with that too. I think there's possibly some apps and things out there. But Well, um, that's, that kind of reminded me of something. Going back to the hope that we were talking about in the neurogenesis, um, there's a Dr. David Hanscom, um, and it was interesting. I went to a medical conference and listened to him speak. Um, and the first thing he said is the pain is all in our brain and we can change our brain, mm-hmm. uh, to put pain in its rightful place. Um, and so he had to do three things to get his patients out of pain. One, he needed them to sleep better. So he prescribed them all Ambien. <laughs> Second, he needed to get them their anxiety and anger level down. So he gave them all a benzodiazepine. And then the third thing is that he needed, uh, this neurogenesis to happen. So he, ne- what he did was he have patients, uh, write, uh, just go home and write 10 to 15 minutes. I hate my pain. I hate that I can't work. I hate that it's changed my relationships. Everything you feel, just write it down. And then after you journal that, destroy it, Mm. right? Burn it. So what you're doing is you're trying to tell your subconscious mind, I've given up all that anger and Ah, anxiety. So now it frees your mind up. So the neurogenesis can really take place and really can start to form. Uh, so it was interesting after he gave his, um, his speech at the conference, I gave my speech. It was like a bromance uh, because he was just like, wait a second. You're saying I don't have to prescribe Ambien. I don't have to prescribe benzodiazepines. I can just prescribe CBD (laughs) and CBD uh, helps with neurogenesis. uh, And those other things I gave probably, uh, you know, impedes neurogenesis. And so we had a wonderful partnership. He's actually one of the gentlemen 
that came in and helped us set up our uh, group visits. Uh, mm. So we're using a lot of his ideas. And I would encourage anybody who's listening to this to go to his website, uh, backincontrol.com. His name is David, Dr. David Hanscom. And in typical physician form, uh, he tells it all. Everything's for free on his website. He's not trying to monetize this. Even though he does have a couple of books, uh, he just gives it all away. Uh, and so if you have pain, please go to his website. He's got a, a doc uh, plan, a determine your own care. And the first one is about this creative writing. I talked to you about, mm -hmm. but he's got these other nine things that you need to start doing. And we refer all our patients there. Uh, so I, I would recommend anyone to go there and check that out. Yeah, I love that, man. That's a great um, sort of yin and yang to what I'm talking about of mm -hmm. journaling and trying to keep track of stuff. Like, yeah, being able to get things out and, and let them go. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's a, a great idea. That's that's really cool. I'm going to have to try that myself because mm -hmm. I'm also a chronic pain sufferer. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but your lab, not only do you do analytical testing on products, but you can also do like your analysis screens and that sort of thing as well, right? Yep. Do you notice any issues with uh, patients that are taking CBD products uh, repeatedly for long periods of time, issues with THC creeping up? Um, in their urine or blood or anything like that? Uh, yes, we see a little less than 1% of our patients on CBD uh, will come back positive on a confirmation test uh, uh, for THC. So in urine drug testing, there's two types of testing. Mm -hmm. There's qualitative testing, right. uh, which is a like a... a test cup you pee in and there's a color change mm -hmm. uh, that's qualitative it's antibody mediated that antibody can't tell the difference between a thc and a cbd molecule so if you're on cbd on those uh, urine cups you're going to come up positive nine times out of ten we send it off for confirmation where we're looking at the molecular weight the molecular mm -hmm. weight of thc and cbd is different so we can distinguish uh, the cbd from the thc and we know that you're negative however a problem comes when a patient is taking CBD, that they will come back positive on the qualitative, mm -hmm. the point of care cup, which triggers a, and so on a qualitative cup, you have to have a concentration of about 50 uh, nanograms at, in, your, in your urine in order to turn positive. Gotcha. But the cutoff for LabCorp is 15 on the confirmation test. So mm -hmm. what happens is it triggers a confirmation test, and then some of their patients come back with 18 or 20 uh, on THC um, on the confirmation. So they come back positive for marijuana when they really weren't. It was really because they should have never gone to confirmation. Uh, they, they, they had a false positive on the screening, which triggered the confirmation, and the confirmation caught them because it was less. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's yeah, it's to... like, you know, in, in my terms of thinking, the limit of quantitation is lower for the confirmation than for the qualitative test. Yes. And so they're failing this qualitative test that's looking for um, high, relatively high concentrations of this compound, and it can't tell the difference between the cannabinoids. And then the confirmation has such a low limit um, that it can be uh, much easier to fail that. And you, yeah, and you're saying that really they should have never had to take the confirmation in the first place. That's correct. To answer your second part of your question, <clears throat> is there particular doses or people who've been on this for a longer period of time? We haven't seen that. Um, that we can say if, if you're taking over 100 milligrams of CBD, you have a higher propensity to come back positive on a confirmation test or if you've been on it for a longer period. So we haven't seen that correlation. Um, it's 
people who are on super low doses, even eight milligrams a day, we have seen come back positive mm-hmm. on a confirmation. So it leads us to think it really has something to do with the individual's metabolism. Yeah. Uh, and so THC, you know, even though that's very small uh, in CBD products, is still enough in certain people that they metabolize it differently, hold on to it differently, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why they're coming up positive. Other than that, we haven't been able to explain why, and we can't. Because if we could, we would recommend to folks don't take right. over this if you're worried about a urine drug test for your employment. But we haven't been able to make any of those um, um, assumptions yet. Yeah, and something I was wondering about is if you see that more commonly in like folks that are um, heavier, you know, sort of like myself that have a little more fatty tissue on them versus someone more lean. If you see any correlations like that we at haven't. all, we that's haven't. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's something I warn people about in general with CBD, depending on what their workplace situation is and what state they're in, is that even though there are, you know, very extremely minuscule amounts of THC in, in hemp products, that long-term use for some people can really um, start to escalate. And so there can be concerns about failing a workplace drug test. Or I imagine um, in the context of some of the work that you do, um, if someone were to fail one of those tests, that could affect other medications that they might be getting. You know, opioids is the main thing I have in mind um, that uh, could maybe disqualify them or something. From <clears throat> well, I wouldn't think their work would have any say in the practice of medicine, but I do know a lot of medical practitioners out there, if you come up positive for marijuana on your urine drug yeah. screen, you will not get a narcotic. Yeah, exactly. We, we quit uh, testing for uh, THC uh, in our patients uh, almost two years ago. Once we kind of brought this into our clinic, yeah. we, we realized, we started looking at folks that were using cannabis um, illegally different. Before mm-hmm. uh, we got involved in this, it, we were kind of part of the problem, I think. We were saying, no, you uh, use cocaine or marijuana? No, you don't know narcotics from us. Because we were holding ourselves to this legal standard uh, that we felt that a medical board or a governing society would, you know, look at us. Once we kind of got involved in this and we talked, started talking to our patients more openly about their cannabis use, uh, is that they were watching the same stories and the, uh, the same newscasts uh, that the rest of the country was, and they were seeing what was happening out west. Yeah. And these people were desperate. So they were their cannabis use was really self-medication. Yeah. So they were self-medicating themselves in their chronic pain situation. And once we started looking at them in that type of, you know, those colored glasses, um, it changed our conversations with them, mm-hmm. uh, and it was we were very quickly able to get them uh, from using the illegal cannabis in our state uh, over to a CBD product uh, because they just needed something. They wanted right. something, um, and the, the narcotic wasn't the path they wanted to go down. When you're on a chronic narcotic, uh, you do not feel good. You feel like you got mm-hmm. the flu all the time. Uh, and so my patients really, to be honest, don't want to be high. You know, they don't want to be impaired. They want to be good mothers, grandparents. They want to function. These My patients want to be, you know, they want to be back to normal again. Uh, and they're looking at any way they can to get that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's um, on the horizon for some of the work that you're doing and some of the research? Um, you and I have sort of um, casually talked about research that you want to do. Um, but what's what's on the horizon for you, and where do you want to see things go? Well, I think ultimately personalized medicine, uh, like we mentioned before, using genetics and epigenetics and uh, matching that up, uh, using artificial intelligence in order to come up with personalized medicine, uh, cannabinoid medicine, I think is the future. 
Uh, so, you know, taking those baby steps uh, between now and where we think things may be in 20 mm-hmm. years uh, is the goal of our organization is how do we start to obtain some information about a patient, use that in making a good decision on certain cannabinoid profiles uh, or different formulations and see, can we start that conversation, those initial studies in order to push this in the direction we feel that a lot of people with a lot more money, a lot more smarts are, are going to be able to take it to the next level. And I think uh, for us, that's the future. Uh, and so um, we're excited to participate in it and uh, start to brainstorm with others. And that's why I like coming to a conference uh, like we are here in Oregon today is is to meet other smart people who are thinking outside the box uh, so we can change the paradigm of medicine that we currently know. Yeah, yeah. I once again, music to my ears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love hearing that. And, and likewise, I love being able to connect with people that are um, thinking critically about the way we're doing things and trying to find better ways forward and, and helping inspire the, the evolution of healthcare. It's, it's important. And something that listeners have probably heard me say in other interviews is that there's definitely a change in sort of the overall philosophy of healthcare, particularly in the United States, that's happening. But up until now, it's been happening very, very slowly as far as moving towards personalized medicine and um, holistic sort of, you know, holistic lifestyle um, thinking and everything. It's always been there as part of the discussion in certain circles and everything, but um, at different periods of time valued more or less. And, and now it seems like it's it's gathering a lot of a lot of momentum. Um, so, yeah, that'll be interesting. And, and something I've personally interested to see that uh, maybe some of your work will come across too is how uh, the efficacy of CBD products can be modulated through um, partnering with other potentially other medicinal plants or other other therapeutic agents. I'm really interested to see um, some work on that and because um, the level of complexity of all of this is hard to fathom sometimes on just all the variables that can be manipulated to affect a therapeutic response with with cannabis. Like you were alluding to, just looking at cannabinoid profiles and terpene profiles, it can can really uh, can get overwhelming at times um, to mm-hmm. think about all of those complex complexities. But I'm interested to see um, how that all goes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to add, um, especially when you're talking to a physician, uh, is that you know CBD is not medicine. <clears throat> it's not medicine yet, right? Mm-hmm. And so in my patients get a bottle of CBD and they think it's going to be a medicine, that it's, it's going to work like a medicine. And some people have a very profound effect after taking it initially and within the first couple of days. But the majority of my patients uh, don't feel anything. Uh, for weeks. Mm-hmm. And it, it sometimes takes up to months for yep, them to yep. eventually, uh, things to start change. So it's very subtle. And so medicines typically have a very profound effect, a very, you know, it will lower your blood pressure, lower your blood sugar, do something, you know, very predictable at a predictable dose. Mm-hmm. And CBD and cannabinoid medicine right now is kind of the opposite. There is no dose. We don't, it, the, the, the effects that you're going to get when taking this are not predictable. So there's nothing about this that currently is a medicine. So I think educating uh, my patients and the community that don't think of this as a medicine, you know, really think it, it's closer to a, a nutritional supplement mm-hmm. than I feel than it is a medicine at this point because we don't understand it. We know it's modulating and changing your endocannabinoid system, but 
modulating and changing and in what ways? Right, I can't right. answer that question yep. yet. Yep. Uh, so a lot of this is just hit or miss. Uh, and for me, uh, it, being a physician that's dealing with the opioid crisis, <clears throat> I don't have a lot to lose, right? 60,000 Americans are dying every year. Yep. Uh, we need a Hail Mary uh, in order for this to, you know, for our country to change. And so for me, it, it felt good bringing something like this into the, this practice of medicine uh, because we had nothing to lose. Uh, it is positively affecting our patients. We are able to reduce their dependency on narcotics. And, you know, we are slowly getting there. Uh, but that's only because my organization is set up like mm -hmm. that. But for a patient who's on a narcotic that just think they're going to buy this off the shelf and it's going to miraculously work, very hard to make this work without uh, having a healthcare professional or a nurse that you could call or someone to help guide you through this process. You're going to be lost. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really, really good points to bring up. And I feel like I remember I may be wrong. So someone out there for listening and I really screw this up, correct me, but I think it was some of the Epidiolex research um, that showed that some patients it took up to 10 weeks or so um, to kind of get the maximum effect that they're going to get if they're going to get one, you know, sort of thing. And so it, it does appear to be, you know, something that even in an isolated form of CBD that it's something that you can't really make any conclusions about what it's doing for you until you've kind of been taking it a while and see um, those changes potentially over several weeks or even several months. Um, and like you said, those those changes, I, I remember one of the early interviews I, I did uh, with a molecular biologist friend of mine, we spoke about this concept that there are a lot of things happening in your physiology that you cannot immediately feel or perceive um it doesn't mean that there's nothing happening mm. but you know just as how our perceptual systems are set up we just can't perceive everything that's going on in our body and yeah, you got hypertension now right you didn't get it today you got it over the last <laughs> 20 or 30 years exactly right? yeah on, and then finally you have hypertension good point yeah good yeah point. and so um you know something that um I think is is really important and you know one reason why it's important to work with a, a healthcare professional is um not just the the guidance but um that that patient compliance of seeing it through to the end before making a um a decision about about the outcome um because you may potentially end up interrupting a process um, that may end up giving you therapeutic benefit before you realize it and the flip side of that's also true um that may be you know at first, you notice nothing, and maybe you have a negative outcome. You know that's mm -hmm. also totally possible. Absolutely. Um, and so, being able to, yeah, recognize that that sometimes you might have to commit for a little while um, before trying something else, or mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And that's or, hard. It's hard for Americans. We're yeah. you know quick fix, immediate gratification type of people. And oh, exactly. Yeah. And and we're a, a culture of more is better, and so you know people want to take the highest dosages possible, you know, something that, um, I, I kind of liked hearing when you were saying that just the, the kind of socioeconomic situation of your patient population is limiting them to low dosages anyway, you know, that's, that's in a way kind of nice because it forces them to find a minimum effective dose mm. rather than what a lot of people out there are doing, at least from my perspective, what I'm seeing are jumping into the highest dosages that they can get their hands on and assuming that that's what's going to bring 
the best effect. Mm -hmm. And that's just not necessarily true. Um, drugs of all sorts are, are um, interesting and fickle things sometimes. They can do very different things at low dosages versus higher dosages. And obviously toxicity effects and things are another thing to consider with, mm -hmm. with high dosages. But um, um, I thought that was, that was fascinating that in, in North Carolina, and, and particularly with your populations, that you're, you're um, getting, in some ways, a little more control over that, finding the minimum effective dose. Um, and that's, yeah, really interesting. And it's, it's interesting to hear you point out that you're seeing positive outcomes in dosages, um, uh, would you say, between like 10 and, and 200 uh, milligrams. Because uh, some of the research that's been done, some of the clinical research that's been done, uh, sometimes they're using very high dosages, right. um, which is why some people think they need these really high dosages. They're using 10 milligrams per kilogram of body weight um, of CBD. Granted, that's usually in these epilepsy studies, mm -hmm. very different than um, than other things that are being treated. But and they're using a CBD isolate. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. And we've, we've seen that. And it was interesting when we first started out, uh, we thought half of our patients didn't want THC in their products. So we gave them a CO2 extracted, uh, just CBD. And the others did want a little THC. And what we found is, our, once again, in the waiting room, the people who were trying the CBD products, the ones that had a little bit of THC and had a full spectrum were having profound results. Those that were on the isolate weren't having such profound results. So it was in the waiting room that the patients were talking. So when they came back to the office visit, they said, hey, I, I don't want to take the CBD I'm taking. I want to take the one they're taking. <laughs> yeah. And so it was the patients that were coming back telling us that this full spectrum was superior over an isolate. So I'm assuming, uh, you know, these large doses that folks need with the, the epidemiolox and the CBD isolates is because uh, it's just inferior. It's yeah. an inferior product uh, and you can take much less if you're taking a full spectrum product. Yeah, well, and it's, it's good to hear you say that because that's actually something I was meant to ask you about and, and forgot um, was whether you noticed differences between broader spectrum extract-based products versus isolate. Um, and that's something I'm trying to make sure to talk to every um, every doctor or nurse that I'm, that I'm speaking with because the, once again, there are a lot of mixed voices about that. And I think some of that is just financially driven because they're you know, it's, it's weird, uh, weird market that we're working in, but there are a lot of people motivated to try to get people taking isolates or distillates that have very, very limited phytochemistry. And so it's hard to tease out what's real and what's not as far as what's getting talked about as far as efficacy goes. Mm -hmm. From uh, a scientist standpoint, it'd be nice if it was just CBD. It was just one molecule. Right, you can control it. Yeah, yeah, control it. I can study it so much better <laughs> when you say, no, it's these hundreds of cannabinoids and hundreds of terpenes and Oh my gosh! There's millions of you know variations exactly, there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It makes it so much harder. Um, but be that as it may. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, it is, is what it is. is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And there'll be those researchers out there that um, there's a good group in Israel that's you know trying to tease out all of those minor components and tweaking little things and trying to understand how important um, some of those fractions are. And so maybe in 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, who knows. Um, we'll have a much more sophisticated understanding of the phytochemical spectrum that's needed to get um, the best responses in certain conditions. But, you know, we're still far, far, you know, distance away from that. So uh, we've got to work with what we've got that's right. <laughs> right now.
Well, uh, we've been going for almost an hour. I'm going to go ahead and, and start to wrap this up. I appreciate you giving me so much of your time. Um, I wanted to give you just a few minutes to, um, if there's anything we haven't talked about that you want to make sure to share with listeners to give you a chance to do that. And then as well, um, just to let people know about um, your clinics, how to find out more information about you and the work your team's doing, any of that that, that you'd like to share. I want to just kind of give you a, a platform for a few minutes to um, to go into that. Yeah, at this point, I, I don't think there's anything else I'd like to share because I, I always keep in my mind uh, that probably half of what I say today is not going to be true yep. uh, tomorrow. <laughs> you know, so I don't want to sit yep. here and, and that I'm this expert that's got all the answers because I don't. Uh, every day I go to work and we look at different data and talk to different patients. Uh, I'm always humbled by how little I know. Uh, and I, I feel that even those that are the smartest amongst us with uh, cannabis and CBD uh, are still, uh, we're all very new yep. uh, and young into this. So we don't have all the answers. I, I just hope that folks are patient with us as physicians that are on the front lines trying to learn about this. Uh, you know, we're going to do it right. We're going to take our time. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, but just know there are smart people starting to think about this and uh, to try to make this into uh, something that can positively affect our uh, communities uh, and overall health in this country, uh, for sure. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about CBD today, um, it, and I kind of go back to those group visits. That You know, CBD is just a molecule. It's just one thing. Uh, we really have to start focusing on diet and movement and exercise. Yes, yes. All this other part is so much more important that if we change those things and really pay attention to that, um, that's going to have a much larger impact than just the CBD molecule. Uh, and so I think as we take CBD and we, we're trying to nourish that inner physician, we've also got to do the other things that that inner physician needs you to do by giving it the right substrates, eating on the outside of the grocery store, the meat and the vegetables, and not so much on the inside mm -hmm. of the grocery store with all the carbohydrates and uh, hyper-inflammatory products. And, and until we make some of those social changes, it's almost like, you know, we're continuing you're, you're just dropping drops on a fire and you're never going to put it out as long as you've got that inflammatory fire going on in your body um, cbd is not going to put it out you've got to stop the inflammation uh, which i think is one of the primary problems that's driving all the modern disease processes that mm -hmm. our great great grandfathers never had uh, so i think keeping that in mind um, that that's it's got to be a bigger conversation than just a cannabis it's got to be about lifestyle modification as well um, as far as uh, what we're involved in uh, we have integrated hemp solutions as our umbrella company uh, and that's where we conduct most of our uh, research uh, integrated laboratory solutions is under that and we do laboratory testing for farmers uh, as well as uh, products that uh, folks bring us that they want to know. Retail stores bring us their products and say, hey, I'm buying this product. Does it really, is this third-party testing they gave me actually true? Um, and so the, the laboratory has been nice as far as being able to have us interface with farmers as well as other retailers. Um, and then Ritual X is our, is our product that we came out with. Uh, as a physician and control freak, uh, in, I was going to recommend products to my patients, and we knew that 70% of the products out there uh, aren't what they say they are. Uh, we took ownership in having farmers grow and knowing exactly where it was extracted so we can follow that whole chain 
uh, of events to come up with a product that we felt good about, that we knew had exactly uh, what we say it has in it. Uh, so one, we could study it, uh, but two, we could offer that to our community. Uh, and so Ritual X, uh, and the reason we even named it Ritual X is because we believe at the end of the day, um, this needs to be a daily ritual mm -hmm. uh, that all of us, uh, and especially folks who are healthy uh, and you do not have a disease process. And that's what's so I'd say interesting about medicine is that we kind of always think about it backwards. You have a medical problem. Now I'm trying to reverse it versus if you had <laughs> took this on a daily ritual, yeah. could you prevent these problems from ever existing yeah. in the first place? Yeah. And so we believe strongly that, uh, you know, modulating your endocannabinoid system and uh, filling, um, you know, that kind of potential uh, endocannabinoid deficiency uh, could make your body healthier. And, uh, and, and so, prevent some of these disease processes. The, that's why we named it Ritual. The X was the unknown, right? We, uh, we just don't understand, and we're going to have all these different formulas. We don't understand them, uh, but we need information from our patients and our customers to help us uh, formulate that. Uh, we have 20 formulations that we're getting ready to unveil over the next couple of months, uh, looking at uh, different ratios of cannabinoids, terpenes, different strains, uh, adding CBG or acidified mm -hmm. uh, components. Uh, so having those 20 formulas that we can then use on patients to try to figure out, answer some of these questions that we all assume are right uh, is exciting for us. So, uh, you know, Keep, keep, keep your eyes on us a little bit uh, of what's going on with Integrated Hemp and Ritual X because uh, I think we'll have some exciting things, whether we, tell, we come up with what the stuff is actually doing or we come out and prove <laughs> what it's not doing. Uh, yeah. you know, we're going to have something to say about it, and uh, we look forward to continuing this journey. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, the, uh, the journey and this ongoing conversation about hemp and CBD, cannabis, and health and wellness continues. Um, well, anyway, um, once again, thank you so much for being willing to sit down. I love having conversations like this. Um, I hope all of you that are listening have, have enjoyed this and gotten some value out of this. And, you know, yeah, like you said, I mean, we're, we're on the cutting edge of understanding a lot of this stuff. And all of the information that comes out, um, I really loved what you said. Of, you know, half of this or all of it may be obsolete in a few years for all we know. Um, and so gotta just um yeah keep at it keep reading keep learning and and keep sharing with each other what experiences we're having and um and we'll all get a little wiser for it uh thank you so much for listening and if you want to learn more about the curious about cannabis podcast you can go to cacpodcast.com you can also find curious about cannabis on um, the various social media platforms we're primarily on instagram facebook and twitter just search for Curious About Cannabis and you'll find us. And you can also check us out on YouTube at um, just search for Curious About Cannabis there and you'll find it. Thanks so much and have a great day. Take it easy. Bye. If you want to learn more about cannabis, you can check out the Curious About Cannabis book available now on Amazon.com and other online book retailers. Curious About Cannabis podcast is presented by Natural Learning Enterprises, a science education company dedicated to the enhancement of public scientific literacy through education about the natural world. Curious About Cannabis is just one of several learning initiatives produced by Natural Learning Enterprises. To learn more, 
Go to www.naturallearningenterprises.com or connect with NLE on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.